0: Welcome to the Family Worship Center podcast. Each week, we bring you our message from our Sunday morning services at Family Worship Center in Beaumont. And then, at the end, when it's all paid off, when there's nothing more to be paid on it, the banker writes the word "telos." Paid in full. It's a way of saying you don't need to come back here anymore. There's no need for you to come back and make another payment. We hope you find this message encouraging. Speak with you guys this morning and hopefully, hopefully not offend too many people, but um, it's probably going to happen. The, Paul tells us, the Bible tells us that the cross is an offense, and um, so uh, right out of the gate I'll just go ahead and let you know that this series, uh, the, this sermon rather is titled Gold from Golgotha, so um, y'all stay with me, okay? Here we go. Golgotha, the word means skull. Y'all all knew that, right? The place of the skull. Um, also, the word Calvary, it means skull. Some people get offended by the, you know, the skull thing, but then they're like, I'm leaving here, I'm going to go to Calvary Church, because that's a good Christian. Okay, anyway. Jesus spoke from the cross. We all know this. Uh, Jesus spent his life speaking and teaching, and we know that his words are important. That's understandable. We can then assume that if Jesus is... Hanging on the cross, dying, the, the things that he has to say in his last hours that he knows are his last hour, they got to be pretty important, correct? As I've been preparing this sermon, I've been talking to friends of mine about the fact that Jesus was speaking from the cross, and I asked them, how many different sayings do you think Jesus said while he was hanging on the cross? How many times did he speak? And of course, like many of you are doing right now, they would kind of go through, well, he said, Father, forgive them. Uh, he said, today you'll be... They tried to add up all the different things. But the problem is, Jesus spoke several times, but across four Gospels, not all of the phrases are recorded. They kind of overlap. Right? Some say a few phrases, some say a few others. Some explain how he said certain phrases. But instead of thinking about what he said, just think about the fact that Jesus is speaking, and these words are important. And since we're all in Bible class here this morning, let's go Sunday school real quick. If I was going to just ask you to guess a number... How many times did Jesus speak? And we're going to say that it's important. Somebody throw a guess at me. Seven. Exactly. In six days, God created heaven and earth, and on the seventh day, he rested. And Jesus spoke seven times from the cross, and his seventh statement was a statement of rest. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He spoke seven times. He said, first, Father, forgive them. Then he said, Today you will be with me in paradise. He said, woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. He said, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said, I thirst. He said, "To tetelestai, which is a Greek word that translates, it is finished. And he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, I ask that you would bless our time together this morning. I ask that you would uh, bless my mouth and the words that come out of it. I ask that you would bless the ears of everybody in here, that we would hear, that we would receive, and that we would grow grow closer to you through this. It's in your holy son, Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have you ever been in the right place at the right time? Like, have any of you ever been in, in, you know, congratulations, you're the one millionth customer? Anybody ever had like a golden ticket, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory type thing? I've been in the wrong place at the wrong time, plenty of times. Just this week, I had to go to the courthouse in Beaumont, and I haven't been there in years. I had to go downtown to do a vehicle title transfer, and it's been a long time since so I've been in there, and right, you walk in the door, and there's metal detectors, they're telling you take your stuff out, put it in the thing, and I went through, and I had a belt buckle on, and it set off the metal detector, and I had to do the, the, whole, the whole thing, which is kind of unsettling, but I went in to take care of the title transfer, and while I'm at my station, and it's quiet, it's like Monday or Tuesday, it was Tuesday morning, there's not a lot going on. I'm at my station waiting, and all the little ladies working. in there, they're having their gossip and stuff, and a gentleman walks up to the station next to me, now this gentleman did not take a ticket and did not wait for his name to be called. He walks up to the station next to me, and he slides a piece of paper to the lady, and he says, read the note. She says, he said, read it to yourself, don't read it out loud. Yeah, Ooh. And after a moment of silence, he said, what does it say? She said, it says to give you all the money I have and that you have a gun that you will use. Now, if you guys are like me, you're waiting, you've got your phone out, right? I'm checking email or whatever. Well, now we're on the phone app, and it's the 911 is about to be pushed. And he says to her, I'm not making this up. He says, so what are you going to do? She says, well, I'm going to push the silent alarm. And the Calvary is going to come coming. And he says, no, 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 you can't do that because I might have a partner in here. And it was about this time I realized this guy is clearly, he, he works for the local government. And this is like a training exercise. It wasn't really uh, a robbery about to happen at gunpoint. And I was just like, sir, please, could you, next time, could you tell me, please? <laughs> right? So I guess maybe I was in the right place at the wrong time. I don't know. Wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, growing up, you guys know I got stories about growing up. I was in 4-H, and uh, we did the agriculture side of it a lot. And I raised steers and raised heifers and did all that kind of stuff. And for those of you that aren't familiar with how all that works, one of the things you can do if you're a young kid in 4-H is you can sign up to be in the calf scramble. And the big daddy of them all is at the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. And if you get to be in the calf scramble there, and if you catch a calf in the calf scramble, you get a scholarship which with which you can buy a heifer show at Houston and San Antonio and all these other big shows. And these animals are very expensive. These are big money scholarships. Let me just break it down for you what a calf scramble is real quick. You take a bunch of uh, like junior high and even high school kids, um, preferably between 100 and 150 pounds, and you take a bunch of baby cows about the same weight. You put them in a rodeo arena, one group on one end, one group on the other end, and you say, go. And the kids try to run and catch the cows. And put a halter on them and drag them to the middle of the arena. There's a big circle. In there. Okay, it's I know this was a long time ago. I don't even know if they do this anymore. It sounds barbaric. Just like I'm, man. It's so barbaric. And then there's mutton busting, but we'll get into that later. Okay, so, um, so we go. I enter. It's like a lottery type thing. I enter. I get selected. Okay, I am like 15 years old, and here we go. I weigh 98 pounds. I'm not going to. I'm not going to make it. So my mom like makes me drink like two gallons of water for the weigh-in. I pass, I get in, calf scramble, here we go, running around the arena, kids are catching him, kids are getting walked over, kids are getting stomped on, I see my calf, I get my angle, I run him down, I tackle, I got my arms around him, I got him like one step, two step, three steps, and he's shaking me off, and I'm losing ground, I'm losing ground, and as I fall off the back of him, in a last ditch, in a desperate effort, I grab him by his tail, <laughs> and I got him, y'all, I had him by his tail, and he was dragging me all around the Astrodome arena. But I I knew I was going to get the best of him. But he got the best of me. Because he opened up on me and unloaded (laughs) right in my face. I got a face full of cow poop. Y'all came to church this morning to hear about cow poop, right? I got a face full of it. And I will never to this day, vividly the memory of the announcer saying and number 147 Zach Perry. Checking the oil on that one, folks. So... I look up, there I am, slow motion on the Jumbotron, famous. Wrong place at the wrong time. That's, no, that's not the picture. Thank goodness. Uh, the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo has uh, what they call a scholarship that they call the Hard Luck Calf. I won that year. So there you go. Proverbs 25.11 says that a word spoken at the right time... It's like a golden apple. We've been talking about the wrong place and the wrong time and the right place and the right time, but the right word at the right time is like a golden apple. You guys know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been in a situation where you needed some encouragement and somebody just said just a little something to you and it was just like a refreshing apple, like a valuable golden nugget? Proverbs tells us the right word spoken at the right time is like a golden apple. And Jesus hung on the cross and spoke those seven times And we are to take from this that these words are infinitely valuable and infinitely important. Everything that Jesus said is important, but we're going to focus on these today. Okay, before I go any further, um, I didn't come up with all this. I read a book called Gold from Golgotha, a book with seven chapters focusing on these seven statements. And this is where I'm getting much of my information from this morning. I discovered the book because I heard another preacher do a sermon series on the book. His church is what provided these graphics, so don't be mad at me. just want to let you all know. This is not 100% original this morning. Luke 23, 43, the first statement that we're going to look at. The second statement that Jesus made, we're going to look at three of them today. The first statement he made was today. He said, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. And, of course, he was talking to one of the men that was hanging next to him on the cross. Now, we don't think about this too much, but we know that Jesus was an innocent man, and Pilate himself thought him to be an innocent man. And Pilate didn't want to kill Jesus, he didn't want that blood on his hands, so he came up with a plan which he thought was a good plan, and that was, I'll, uh, I'll give them the option of Jesus or Barabbas. Barabbas was a bad dude. Barabbas was rising up against the Roman government, and Barabbas was to be executed on the cross, and he thought, for sure, if I give them the option, they'll say, free Jesus, because we want this Barabbas guy dead, but it backfired. They said, give us Barabbas, kill Jesus. Y'all know this part of the story, right? So Jesus is hanging on Barabbas' cross with Barabbas' two right-hand men. These guys were to be executed alongside Barabbas. Think about them for just a moment. Their ringleader, the one that got them into all this, got off scot-free, and they're there hanging. And this punk on the cross is what got Barabbas off. The Bible tells us they spit at him, they cursed him, they mocked him. But then the one man had a change of heart. And he said to the other, he said, can't you see this guy's innocent? I mean, we've done our crimes, and we're paying for the bad decisions that we made, but this guy's innocent. And he said, Lord, remember me when you get to where you're going. And Jesus said, today. Today you will be with me in paradise. By saying that simple statement, today, as beautiful as it is, he opens up and he then fulfills the office of being prophet for us. Prophet is someone who tells us messages from God, A prophet is someone who brings us information from God. A prophet is someone who fulfills these things through God. And Jesus was able to do that for us. Before we go any further, let's talk about crucifixion and what it is. A common misconception is that during crucifixion, the the victim of crucifixion dies from bleeding out. But, of course, that's not the case at all. In fact, being crucified, the victim dies from suffocation. Uh, every once in a while, if I laugh too hard, I get like a Charlie horse right here and these muscles over my ribcage. You don't even know you have muscles right there until you get a Charlie horse. But what do you do? If you get one right there, your first response is to stretch it out. If you've been working out and you're kind of sore up here and you want to stretch them, stretch them. And this is what happens to a crucifixion victim is they're stretched out and left to hang. These muscles are unnaturally stretched over a period of usually eight hours. Now, when these muscles begin to give way because they're not being used the way they're supposed to, they, the support that these types of muscles have for your innards begins to fall apart, and slowly you begin to suffocate. Crucifixion was invented by the Persians about 1,000 years before Jesus' time, but it was perfected by the Romans in Jesus' time. Originally, crucifixion was basically just a big stake that you were impaled on and hung for all to see. The Romans got better and better at it, till they figured out the right place to give you the most pain but you won't lose enough blood to die from blood loss. Then somebody got real smart and said these guys are suffocating, what if we put a footrest and nail their feet to it? And as you're laying suffocating, human nature kicks in and you pull up to take a breath, only prolonging your pain, only prolonging your suffering. And Jesus was whipped as many of the crucifixion victims were. His back was torn to shreds. His hands were pierced. His feet were pierced. And he's hanging here and he can't breathe. Yet he chose to speak seven times loud enough for bystanders to hear. That means that every word that we talk about today, plus the four that we're not talking about, involve Jesus pushing against his feet and pulling against his hands to take a breath, to tell a dying thief, you'll be with me today. Take a breath to say, John, take care of my mother. To take a breath and say loud enough for everyone to hear, Father, forgive them. This is, these words come with great cost and great pain. Jesus is our prophet. Isaiah 42 tells us, Jesus said, Speak tenderly to her. Tell her her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. And there's Jesus pushing up, taking a breath, And saying for the whole world to hear, today, sad days are gone, the old ways are over, it's all taken care of, I've pardoned it for you. The next statement that we're going to look at from Jesus is his statement, I thirst. Now Jesus was hanging on this tree and speaking seven times, three of the things he said were prayers. Three of the things he said were specifically taking care of other people like Father forgive them like today you'll be with me in paradise. Some of the things he said were said in angst. Some of the things he said were said almost in a tone of victory. But this one seems to be the one uh, that sounds selfish. As a matter of fact, um, the Gospels tell us that knowing all things were finished, he said, I thirst. And then in parentheses, he said this to fulfill the prophecy. Okay, there's a lot in that statement right there. There's a lot going on. Knowing all things are finished, he said, I thirst. He said this to fulfill the prophecy. Jesus was crucified at 9 a.m. sun went dark at noon. He gave up the ghost at 3 p.m. Six hours on the cross. Most crucifixions were eight hours. He got two hours early. Knowing all things were finished. Well, we're fourth statement into here. There's a, there's a story of a French battle general leads his troops into the field of battle, and right at the very beginning is mortally wounded. His boys drag him to the side of the battlefield, and there, from the ground, he begins to continue giving orders to his troops. And from the ground, mortally wounded, he leads his troops to victory. And no sooner is the victory secured, and he's informed, the battle's over, we have won, than he says, now I can die in peace. closes his eyes and breathes his last. And it's almost like, Like, Jesus is going through this right here, because this is now towards the end. This is coming up on 3 o'clock. He's gone through the pain. He's taken care of all the people around him. God has darkened the sun and turned his back on Jesus. He's hung there all alone. God, why have you forsaken me? It's all done now. Let me take a minute and take a drink. But I don't think that Jesus was being selfish in this moment. Rather, I think, once again, he was sending a message to the whole world, and that is, I'm thirsty. Like, wouldn't you be? Like, yes, I'm God, but yes, I'm fully human. And in this moment, don't forget that I am suffering for you. Before, right before, he said, I thirst. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is from Psalm 62. That's from Psalm 62. Psalm 62 Talks about It starts off, that's the first line, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it goes through all the suffering. And you read it and it's like a description of Jesus' crucifixion. So here's our Lord and Savior, a person who we know loved the scriptures, loved to open the word and to teach and to read. And he's hanging and he's comforting himself by reciting the Psalms. We talked about a couple of months back with the kids in the back, we talked about Paul. Paul was on trial one time by the Jewish courts. And it was a trial. They were going to try to execute him because he was preaching. And he was given no defense, and it was the Jewish courts, so the only law that stood was God's law. And he was put on the stand with no lawyer, and with no script, and with no Bible, and they came at him with law after law after rule after rule, and he defended himself completely. They couldn't catch him. They had the old scriptures right there in front of him. They had all the research and whatever they needed, and he had... The word of God memorized so well that he they they couldn't they couldn't pin anything on him. In fact, he kind of caused a little thing about the resurrection of the dead and it turned into a big hullabaloo and he got out of it. Jesus is here the same way. He's memorized scriptures. He's he's reciting a psalm. Guys, aside from Psalm 23, I mean, do we know any of these other scriptures? And he's comforting himself by reciting these things. And I believe he gets to that point. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it becomes less about a recital and more of a true, God, why have you forsaken me? But then the soldiers divide his garments, and they gamble over them instead of tearing them apart, fulfilling the next psalm. And then he says, I thirst, fulfilling the next psalm. It's almost as if he's hanging there, knowing all is done, oh man, wait a minute, 33 years, never talked back to mama, never cheated, never lied, never stole, never did anything wrong, never had an impure thought, did everything that God asked me to do. And there's that one little prophecy that I haven't fulfilled yet. Let me just check that off the list. I thirst. But by doing that, Jesus showed us that he is our priest. Hebrews 4 tells us that we do not have a priest who is unable to sympathize with us. The office of the priest in the Jewish church was the one who would take the sacrifice and perform the act for the people. The family would bring a lamb, spotless. The priest would inspect the lamb to make sure that it was pure and then sacrifice the lamb. Here we see Jesus in the office of priest ensuring that he is the pure, perfect to the dot and allowing himself to be sacrificed for us. During the time of Passover each year, the nation of Israel would bring two goats to the high priest to pay for their sins. This happens every year. One goat is killed. Its blood is shed. The priest puts his hands in that blood and puts his bloody hands on the head of the second goat. And the people run the goat out of town. This is representing that we are done with our sin. We want this sin no more. We place the sin on this goat and run it out of town, and this is where we get our term scapegoat from. And every year this would happen. Every year, more sin. Every year, more blood. Every year, families on Passover would bring their best lamb to the priest, and he would inspect it, and if it was worthy, the lamb would be sacrificed, its blood would be shed, and all things were good until next year. The cycle continues. The, um, the final word that we're going to look at today is a Greek word, tetelestai. Right? It's Greek. Right? I know the first two are English, but tetelestai starts with a T. Today I thirst, tetelestai. You guys see what I did there, right? Tetelestai is the word that translates. It's one word, and it translates, it is finished. Like, that's the best way to translate it. Um, if a, if a, a, a Greek servant was given a task by their master, and they went and did the task and came back, and the master said, report, the servant would say, Tetelestai, I've done what you asked me to do. Or if a little Greek uh, young boy was having to finish writing his spelling words before he'd go outside and play with his friends, and he had to write all ten words two times, how many remember how hard that was? As soon as he was finished, he could run and show his mom the paper and say, Tetelestai, I've finished. Or if a sculptor, an artist, was working on the, Perfect masterpiece. When they finish it, they could step back and look at it and say, "To die, it is finished." That's the best way to translate that word: "It is finished. It is done. The task is completed." And Jesus is hanging on the cross, and he's got two more things to say. And the first is to Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't tell us what he said, but instead they tell us how he said it, and that is that they tell it. That he cried out with a loud voice, and then after that, he said, "Father, into your hands I commit my spirit." It's John who tells us, he says this phrase, it is finished, To die." All the work has been completed. My task, this six-hour task, is done. Romans 6.10 tells us why he died. He died to break us free from the bondage of sin. And he hangs there, and with a loud voice, he cries, to tetelestai. It's all finished. We've all seen the movies or the TV specials or even the passion play or what have you where Jesus hangs and in English he says, it is finished. But Tetelestai doesn't roll off the tongue that way. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us he cried with a loud voice like, Tetelestai! It reminds me of the movie Braveheart. You know, you guys know what I'm talking about, this scene at the end. What are you going to say? And he screams out, freedom! It's almost like at that moment Jesus is hanging there and it's all done. And with everything he's got, remember, he just got a drink. Wet that throat, pull up one last time, get the biggest breath he can, and he screams as loud as he can, Tetelestai! This is at 3 p.m. He's on a hill outside the city. And inside the city at 3 p.m., the priest is unlocking the gates to the temple, and the families are lined up around the temple with their lambs in arms because it's 3 p.m., Sabbath weekend. It's time to go begin the sacrifice. And Jesus, as loud as he can, says, it's done. It's finished. Tetelestai. It's been translated, it is finished, since the Bible was first translated into English. Then archaeology comes along. And as archaeologists begin to unearth Roman civilization, we begin to find that these guys had some pretty advanced stuff. Running water. Some cities had both hot and cold water. And they had, just like we have, banks, options for getting loans. Just like us, if you wanted to buy a piece of property to start your homestead on, you could go to a bank, you go to a banker and get a loan. And they found records, these, these bank statements, these records of these loans where there's a balance and a payment and a smaller balance. A balance, a payment, the balance remains. A balance of payment, the balance remains. And then at the end, when it's all paid off, when there's nothing more to be paid on it, the banker writes the word, "to die paid in full. It's a way of saying, you don't need to come back here anymore. There's no need for you to come back and make another payment. It's paid in full. And as Jesus hung on the cross, with the loudest voice he had, he said, "To die get out of that line with the lambs. You don't need them anymore. It's paid in full. Now, if you're like me today, uh, you're here and you like what I have to say, but right now what you're thinking about instead of what Jesus did, you're thinking about what you've done. And I just want to close with this thought, and that is simply this, that our Heavenly Father, in those dark hours, those three hours where the sun was gone, chose to, to not look at his son anymore because his son was covered with my sin. He was covered with our sin. And it disgusted the father so much that he didn't want to look at it. And I just want to leave you with the idea today that he doesn't want to look at it. We want to look at it. We want to bring it back up. We want to drag it back out into the light. But he's done with it. He's so done with it that he allowed his son to be tortured to death so that it would be over, paid in full, to tetelestai, finished. So know this, that your Heavenly Father loves you so much. And the sin that you're dealing with is done to Him. And He's over it. And He's never going to see it again. You bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to come here today. Thank you for the opportunity to open your word, see these precious words of your son. I pray that as we as we hear these words and we see these words, that our hearts would be open to what you have done for us and what he has done for us. I pray that you would be with us through this time as we understand fully who you are and who he is to us and for us. Now, if there's anyone here today, who has heard these words and they've cut you to the quick and you've realized that just like that, that guy hanging next to Jesus on the cross, I don't know when my today will be my last day, but I'm realizing now that today can be my first day with Jesus. If you're here, we want to pray with you. Because what, what we've been talking about today is what Jesus went through for you. Personally. He wasn't worried about me. He wasn't worried about any of the characters that we've been talking about. He was worried about you. And he said those words for you. As he hung there, he said, Father, forgive them. Because he wants your forgiveness. As he hung there, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Because salvation is for today. So if that's you... If you're here today and you're ready to make a commitment to Jesus like he's made a commitment to you, would you trust me? As everybody's got their heads bowed and their eyes closed, would you trust me and raise your hand today so that we can pray with you? If you're in this room today, you know that God loves you. You feel it for the first time and you want to experience that love for all of eternity. Just slip your hand up right now and we're going to pray with you. If there's anyone here. Heavenly Father, I thank you that I'm in a room of brothers and sisters, that we're all a big family. God, we love you so much. We thank you that you were willing to send your son, Jesus, to be the last and final sacrifice. As we're closing here, I'm reminded of Abraham and Isaac, a father who was willing to sacrifice his son, a son who was willing to lay down his life as a sacrifice. And in the last minute, The angel stopped Abraham and instead a goat was provided, the first scapegoat. Thank you that after all those years of all that tradition, you finally came and put a stop to it. So We don't have to go back anymore. We don't have to make another payment because it's paid in full. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for being with us here today. I ask that you bless our time throughout this week. And that we come back refreshed and ready to learn more about you next Sunday. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen.